We're brought here today by the love that Sarah and Davis have for each other. I can't believe I get to marry him. We're perfectly compatible in every way. Yeah, she just gets me, man. Someone to talk to all night long. Someone to talk to all night long. Early morning jogs. Sleeping in late. We'll spend the holidays with my parents. We'll spend the holidays with my parents. We'll have one well-behaved daughter. We'll have four or five little dudes running around. He'll help me pay off my debt. I should probably tell her about all my debt. Is that important? We'll share a bank account. Obviously, we're going to share a Facebook account. <laughs> do I need a friend my in-laws? Someone to do my laundry. Someone to do my laundry. Double income. Stay-at-home dad. Meal planning, of course. Take out. The city. The burbs. Mission trip. Ski trip. Blue. Red. Cat. Dog. Fries. Rings. Potato. Potato. Minivan. Motorcycle. Two words. Finished basement. Two words. Man cave. Ah, uh, he's so smart. Do you think that birds wish that they had hands? We're going to be so happy. We'll be so happy. I'm going to crush it at being a husband. There are two kinds of people in this room. Uh, the, the bumper videos do get funnier, so come back next week. There's two kinds of people in this room. One of you, uh, one, uh, one, half of you are like, finally, a series on relationships. I'm tired of the book of Galatians and Judaizers and circumcision. Give me something, give me something practical. And then the other half of you are like, oh, a series on relationships. I was just starting to get to like this guy. But here we are. Uh, relationships are vital, even though men, for some of us, we, we look at relationships like a car. Right? If it's not broken, if it doesn't need fixed, then why even talk about it, right? It just gets us from A to B. Or ladies, maybe you find uh, your man or significant other under the hood of a car. Maybe you're driving to pick him up on a date. He's outside of his apartment looking under the hood of the car, and you're like, what are you doing? And uh, your special man friend is like, oh, I'm looking for the, and you know, he's looking at YouTube. He doesn't know what's going on in life. That, that would be me. Pre again, preach your hands. I can't fix anything. And yet, you're like, come on, we got to go on our date. Like, if our car's not going to break down on the highway, why does it matter? If it's not uh, broken, why do we need to fix it, right? And yet, last weekend, we talked about what we believe to be the greatest historical event that's ever happened, the resurrection, that, that Jesus rose from the dead. And yet, like, the, the really, I, I know, I, you guys have been very generous since I've been here, but i got to say a hard thing, Right? The hardest part to live out the resurrection is at home, <laughs> all right, with people that know us, people that love us, people that annoy us, right, people that fill us up, and also people uh, that actually let us down. And, and, and really, the gospel and discipleship and following Jesus, it's really hard to do these things with the people that know us, because they know what bush, uh, buttons to push, and how to encourage us, and, and how to bring us down. And if I were to say, love your enemy, which is some political person across the world, uh, you know, that's one thing. But if I say, love your enemy, and that's your spouse, that's a whole, it's a different thing, right? And yet, we got to talk about this. We have to, because so much of how we follow Jesus, and love Jesus, and what is formed on our perspective about Jesus isn't necessarily Duke University doctoral le uh, level research. It's how we were raised, how our moms and our dads treated us, even though the research is important, all right? Christianity's not for dummies, all right? It, but, but that's part of it. But, but a lot of it is, is how we're formed as, as a child. And so this, this stuff actually, like, really, it matters as much as the book of Galatians matters. 
And so we, we asked you, we put a, put a beat out to the church and said, hey, we're starting this series called What Happy Couples Know. Would you send us a photo <laughs> of you on your wedding day or maybe a favorite dating moment and give us some relationship advice? And you guys delivered. We laughed. I mean, prayed a lot during staff meeting when we saw these photos. Now, uh, after I start doing this, if you feel courageous enough, you can still email us your photos, uh, info at rccsalem.com, and we would happily use them. Happily. would love to use them, okay? Uh, Chris and Danielle Conroy, they've been coming to RCC for about, uh, as long as I have, about eight or nine months, and this is their advice. Young couple uh, just brought home a new child uh, recently, and they said this, our advice would be to take one day at a time, work as a team, uh, and find balance. What wisdom for such a young couple. Can you imagine what an old or more seasoned couple at RCC would have to say? Well, Bill and Carla Gallagher did not disappoint, okay? This is Bill. <laughs> yeah, the peanut gallery is laughing because they know the Gallaghers, right? So this is, this is how to have a good marriage, maybe a happy marriage. This is what happy couples know. Are you ready for this profound insight? They've raised two children that love the Lord. One of them is on a mission trip around the world. Here is their wisdom. Are you ready? Always put the seat down. <laughs> Always put the seat down. Right? And we're not talking about the passenger seat. Always put the seat down. Amen? Right? Men, if you want a happy marriage, always put the seat down. King-size bed, double sinks, right? Yeah, th these are good things, practical things, right? We don't have to be pie in the sky just because we're in a church building. But this is what happy couples know, right? Find balance and also put the seat down. Here's what I know about relationships. Everybody has a box. Everybody has hopes and dreams and desires in their box, right? And so when you meet that special someone and you start dating and, you know, you're laying down on a blanket in the cool of the spring, drinking, you know, your Diet Coke, um, and, uh, you know, feeding each other chocolate strawberries. Your hopes and dreams and desires are just, they're just so aspirational, right? I can't wait to make this a reality for you, babe. I can't wait to do this. And so we all have a box, and in our box are our hopes and dreams and desires. Uh, we all have to figure out what we're going to do with money uh, as we head into marriage, right? And so maybe you grew up in a household where, you know, Visa and MasterCard were used all the time, and money was basically a resource for your family to have fun. And for you, you're kind of maybe lighthearted, you're in the moment, everything's awesome, uh, you just use money to have fun. But what happens is if you take your box into that relationship, and you're dating someone or courting, if I can go old school, uh, maybe you're engaged to somebody right now that grew up in a household where um, maybe money was hard to come by, right? And so money wasn't for pleasure or for um, experiences with the family, but money, if it ever came in, was used for savings, right? Like, like we know that there will be rainy days, and maybe that family said, rainy days, try monsoons, right? Uh, forget $1,000 in our savings account, like we need $10,000 stat. And so you take your box into a relationship with someone that has a different perspective on money. And what about, well, let, let, let's start here. What about kids, right? I grew up in a household with three boys. Um, <laughs> uh, my dad is 6'3", and at the time, like 3'20", 3'50", big, big dude, drummer, big, just big dude. 
uh, salesman. I don't know if he led through intimidation, but he always brought in good sales every year, so we ate well. Uh, but I married a gal, Crystal, my wife, who is an only child. And wouldn't you know it that when you're, mar- when you're married or living with somebody, you can like go into the room that they're in and talk to them. See, I didn't know that. I grew up in a house where if you wanted something, you just yelled from the basement all the way up to the third floor, right? And so my wife grew up in a very quiet, chill home. Uh, I <laughs> if you ever find Saving Private Ryan, like that, that's my household, right? Any war movie, like that's, that's my, that was my household. It was intense. Like if mom said dinner's ready and you waited to the end of your Saved by the Bell show, see what I did there, to the commercials, the food was gone right? But we have expectations. Do, do we want children in marriage? Do we want as many as we can have? Do we want two? And, and what happens when we take our hopes and dreams and desires box into our marriage and we find out two, three years into our marriage, the death-blowing news that we're infertile and we'll never have biological children? What happens then? What about, what about football? And football represents your family schedule, Right? Like, how much are you going to have your kids involved in things? I mean, <laughs> we're, we're, we're the most busiest America that, I, that I've ever seen. We're always on the go. Now, not necessarily a bad thing, but um, when I talk to people, I always find that they struggle to rest. They have high anxiety, depression. They're eating too, mi- too much fast food. Uh, and so, and so it, it weighs on us as Americans. But, but I, I grew up in a household where we did baseball, soccer, uh, basketball, and then I found guitar, and I could just sit. I'm like, forget that. I just started playing guitar. But my family was a 1990 family, so we basically lived off of frozen chicken nuggets because that's the quickest thing we could scarf down before baseball practice or, or this or that. And see, even in the 90s, before social media and all this other stuff, my family was wicked busy. You got to talk about that. You see, I, I married a gal who was an only child, and that she moved and grooved at a much slower pace. My family planned out, you know these people, God love them, hopefully. They plan out their vacations, like down to the second. And my wife, when she goes on vacation, it's like, hey, we made it. What do you want to do today? <laughs> like, what do you mean, what do you want to do today? You had three months to plan it out, right? We have three months. I'm not saying, we have three months. <laughs> I'm going to get trouble. Yeah. Uh, hi, honey. She's not here right now, but she's probably watching online. We, 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 had three, we had three months to plan this out, right? And what, what about keys, right? Like, do we want to rent? Do we want to own? Do we want to go old school and save up for a down payment? Remember those days? Uh, or do we just want to buy uh, with, with nothing down? Do we want to save up for a retirement home on, uh, somewhere in New England? Do we want to have a vacation house? H- how do we want to do our housing? And some of my friends, uh, th- through um, alcoholism and drug abuse, they would move house to house to house to house. And so for them, when they got married, they had to learn that for them it was o- normal. It was normal to move. It was normal to not have predictable patterns. And it freaked their wife out. It freaked her spouse out. But these are things that we all take into our relationships, right? Now, here's the thing about hopes, dreams, and desires. Some, somewhere in the marriage, maybe after, um, uh, after you get engaged, or maybe, maybe it's a moment. Maybe it's not a timeline. You find out that you're infertile. Or you find out that um, your, your son is basically the devil, right? And, and you just can't 
he's just constantly getting in trouble. You're bailing him out of jail. Uh, he's starting to use drugs now. And, and it's just like, what happened to my sweet little boy? And what happens is somewhere in our marriages, like whether it's uh, as intense as I just described it or very simple, we, we take our hopes, dreams, and desires, right, that we fell in love with, with our spouse. And then what we do is when uh, stuff gets really hard, we turn them into expectations. And so the thing that uh, drew us uh, to our spouse or significant other, now we are demanding of them right? Hey, you said you wanted four kids. I'm turning 36 this year, right? The clock is not slowing down. Hey, you said that we could be a one-income family, and so I, I, was, I, I was for that, so I was a stay-at-home spouse, and, and now, we're, you know, now we're in over our head with a mound of debt. Uh, I, you know, I only got my bachelor's degree. I wanted to get my master's to go into teaching. I thought that you would deliver on your promises, and so because we do this with the people we love, because we know their buttons, we turn our hopes, dreams, and desires on them, and then we demand expectations out of them. You said when we dated, or when we first got married, the future of our marriage, the reality of our marriage would look like X, Y, and Z, but it doesn't. And so until you end up, uh, hold up your end of the bargain, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to live. And this is where conflict destroys marriages. It's true of my family. It's true of a lot of my friends' family. You know, Monday through Saturday is a war zone, but you walk through the church building, and this is like, oh, hi, everyone's happy. And, and, and I get that, right? You can, you can put it on for 60 minutes on a Sunday morning. That's why you need to get in a life group, so you can be honest and real. But, but it's so easy to do that, right? It's so easy to turn our hopes, dreams, and desires, and on the head of our spouse, demand them to be expectations, and so here's what happens when we do that, friends. I'm going to get to the Bible momentarily. Hold on. Uh, but this is just skimming the surface. Next week, we're going to do a deep study uh, into Ephesians 5, uh, talking about everyone's favorite word, submission. It'll be great. Come back. Uh, but here's, here's what happens, right? What happens is uh, most, um, the, the sh extreme measure is we leave. We say, we're done. I'm fed up. Guys, we have a midlife crisis. We go sleep with somebody. We buy a car. We, you know, take out a line of credit. We just do something really dumb. We, like, intellectually, we know it's dumb, but we really want to get back at our spouse, right? And so, so we just leave and leave our spouse with the kids, all the bills, and we're like, you know what? I'm out of here. Goodbye. Uh, but also, we can also win. If we don't leave and we want to stay in the house, we win. And this is troubling because most marriages have uh, the domineering spouse. It's not always the man. It can be. Uh, I've seen both. But when you're married to a domineering spouse, they can feel, man, they can make expectations feel like, you know, 500 pounds of concrete on the back of your neck, right? Yes is the answer, okay? Uh, I know you're not saying that because you might be sitting next to your spouse. But that's true, right? And so when we try to win, here's what we try to do. Here are four C's uh, to a destructive relationship, all right? Terrible relationship. When we try to win, here's what we try to do. We try to convince them, right? Maybe it's you didn't hold up your end of the bargain, so now it's my world you're living in. We're going to do it my way. Secondly, we convict them, right? These are people that we've created life with. We slept with them. We've created children with them. We've gone on vacation with them. We've gone out on date nights with them. We know what buttons, uh, buttons to push, don't we? 
and we go for the jugular. We go for the emotions of the heart, and we know how to rip and tear our spouse apart, don't we? Sure we do. And if we don't leave, and if we don't convict, we'll try and control them. And this, if it hasn't started already, is where a lot of um, Christian uh, marriage abuse happens. And if you are an abusive person, the church is a great place to hide. Because the church thinks that everyone has to be nice to everybody. Not here. <laughs> I will call that out if I see it. I've seen it in the church, men in particular. Now, it doesn't, it doesn't come with like, you know, a paddle that I used a couple weeks ago where someone's like, submit woman. It comes with a very stern look. There's a wink. There's a phrase. There's a saying. And what once had life in that marriage is now one of the spouses, again, could be the husband, could be the wife, seen it in both, uh, where they're controlling their spouse to do whatever they want. Hey, honey, you didn't fall through. So my box, my world, my terms, you will obey me. Now, if, if we don't control people, the final, uh, which I think is probably the most damaging, we just coerce them. This is when the cussing happens. This is when mom and dad uses uh, their kids against others, right? Tommy, don't, don't you like me more than your mom? I, I'm the fun parent, right? Yeah, isn't your mom a drag? She's constantly, she's constantly punishing you and yelling at us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, this is what my dad did. He chose not to be a parent. He chose to be a peer. Amen? Right, men? We got, we got to be careful, especially if you have daughters, right? And so my dad and I, we made fun of my mom together because I thought that's what men did, right, with, with women that nag. But what my, what my dad was doing is he was coercing my mom, and he was using me as bait for that. See, th this is really, it's so subtle the way we can destroy our marriages and we can, can destroy our home lives. So we leave, we win. If that doesn't happen, we flip out. <laughs> uh, it's important uh, if you're in a dating relationship to talk about your significant other, like to ask them about their family of origin. How did they do conflict? Tell me a time when mom and dad was so sure about something that uh, they didn't get it. And how, did you, how does your family face disappointment? Uh, how did you know from your parents that when you disobeyed them after whatever punishment you had to endure, that you were still loved, that it was still a safe relationship? Uh, these are incredibly important to talk about because if, if we don't have the relational tools to deal with conflict— uh, in our home, in our relationships, we just go back to what is normal, right? And normal is usually our family of origin. And so there's that one uncle, that one aunt, right, at all the, all the family gatherings where everyone says, well, that's just uncle so-and-so. Uh, no, it's not. That's an uncle that is, you know, 56 years old and is acting like a middle school boy because he's being disrespectful. He's being a jerk to his wife or this or that. But so often we just cast it off as, well, that's just so-and-so. And that's not true. That's not true. And fourthly, if we don't do any of those things, what we normally find out is that we compromise. We compromise. Now, when I was growing up and my parents were in the heat of, of their struggle and their tension before their divorce, uh, I would have friends over and we'd be playing video games, you know, and Super Techno Bowl, Nintendo, right? The way God intended for you to experience video games. Have pizza, and then later at church, because usually church friends, I'd have to apologize. Like, I'm sorry you heard my dad cuss. Like, they're, you know, they're kind of fighting right now. Um, but alcohol and, and domineering and, you know, substance abuse, 
That happens, right? And so I remember like a week after that, I'd have to apologize to my friend and say, I'm sorry you had to experience that. And so a couple months after that, they would ask me, hey, how's your, how's your parents doing? Oh, you know, it's fine. They're, they're getting better. And so what happens, because we don't know how to speak truth and love and call the things by their right names, we just say, oh, they're, 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 they're fine. They're getting better. But what actually is happening is one spouse, right, has subjugated them sp- themselves to the domineering spouse. And so what happens is, is, oh, my family is fine. What really is happening is one parent or one spouse has chosen to compromise. They've taken their box off the table, set it down, right, and put their box here. Because if you're a one-income family, if you're the, um, how should I say this, the less educated one, if you feel like if you leave the family and you lack the most mobility, it's hard to know what to do. And so, so often we take our box, put it on the ground, put our domineering spouses on the table and say, you know what? He or she may not beat me. It's not the best marriage, but hey, at least I have a place to lay my head. And we compromise. And this, ha- listen, this happens a lot with Christian marriages. Right? It's, it's, not, it's not abnormal for this to happen. It happens all the time. We compromise, but passive-aggressively, we tell people, you know what, everything's okay. Here's what Christian couples know, or, or know at least know intellectually, right? Like I said in the Easter sermon, we know intellectually these chains are heavy. We need, a, we need to be freed from the chains. But it's not the decision of the heart that frees us. It's our decision of the will. Will we submit to Jesus? Will we submit ourselves to the cross? Do we believe in the resurrection? Same thing here, friends, right? It's not a decision of the mind, but it's a decision of the will. Even if I to- asked somebody this who uh, I was talking to uh, somebody new here that's an atheist, and I said, okay, if you had all of your questions answered, would that still fuel, fuel a desire for you to follow Jesus? No. They're, like, they're disconnected. Even if you have all of your answers, human suffering, the Holocaust, why my coworker is annoying, like, if you have all of these questions answered, it's still a decision of the will, right? And so Jesus gets his disciples together, and he goes, all right, guys, there's like a lot of Old, Old Testament commandments, 613 in your Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. I'm going to narrow it down to two. Can you handle that? <laughs> right? And Peter's like, oh yeah, I can do that. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something better. I'm going to narrow it down to one co- commandment, and I'm going to drop expectations, right? You can laugh. It's okay, all right? That's what I get for trying to put it on the box. I'm going to nar- nail it down to one command. Here it is, all right? Yeah, okay, right all the guys right, right here. Okay, tell me, coach. All right. As I have loved you, right? As I've poured myself into you, I've, I've eaten with you, I've, I've partied with you, you've seen me heal people, rebuke religious people. People like, oh, I like that. Yeah, yeah, okay. As I have loved you, that's how you love other people. Oh, oh, okay. So, so it's not an intellectual pursuit necessarily, but it, it's, a, it's a vibe. It's a movement, right? There, there's a, when people walk into a room, there's a presence about them, right? You don't believe me? Next time someone calls you, look at who's calling you and see what kind of reaction you give, right, to yourself. Oh, I'm so glad they're calling me. Or, man, I wish I could hang up on them. But Jesus says, the way I have loved you and invested in you, love other people, including your spouse. Paul, Paul says it this way in Ephesians 5. Follow God's example. Therefore, as dearly loved children... And walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us as a fragrant offering 
and sacrifice to God. Happy couples know that marriage is a submission competition. Happy couples know that marriage is a submission competition where we're trying to outserve, outlove, and outsubmit our spouse, right? Spouse comes home and says, Hey, I've been thinking about you on the ride home from work, stopping, got you flowers. Well, I'm going to one up you, and, you know, we're going to have a getaway in Vegas. Well, I'm going to take you to Europe. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Right? So when Jesus is given this beautiful principle of how I loved you, that's how you're supposed to love your, your spouse. It, it, it's not a competition of who can throw down and hurt the other person because of your expectations or your own insecurities or your daddy issues or your mommy issues. Jesus says, hey, the way I'm working on your heart personally, when you, listen, when you wake up in the morning and you spend time with me before you hit the gym or go to work or wake up your kids, how I'm forming my love for you inside of you, that's what I want you to do for your spouse. That's, I want you to love your spouse, your spouse should benefit from your relationship with me. Does that make sense? And so here, here's two questions uh, I want to ask you guys. A bit of homework, all right? So uh, if you're afraid of your spouse, do this in a public setting, all right? So two questions I want to give you guys, uh, and then I'll pray, and we'll continue in worship. Here's the first question. Uh, carve out 60 minutes of your time this week, all right? Go get coffee, go get lunch, dinner, however you wanted to find that. Find a sitter for the kids, all right? Here's a question. Ask your spouse, hey, what's in your box? What are your hopes? What are your dreams? And what are your desires? I've been married eight years, right? My spouse is not the same person she was eight years ago. She's grown. She's evolved. She's developed. She's trying new things. And, and if we only carry the hopes, dreams, and desires that our spouses had on our wedding day, we're missing out on what God's creating them to be. And we're missing out on a ton of stuff. So I want you to find a place this week. Uh, 45 minutes to an hour, spend some quality time, turn off your cell phones, okay? Uh, give them to your spouse, all right? The, the non-cell phone looker, give that, you know, give your phone to that spouse, okay? And ask yourself, honey, what's in your box? And you ask me, what's in my box? And here's the second question I want you to ask. Are you expecting someone to carry it around for you? Are you expecting someone to carry it around for you? In other words, Honey, what, what's in your box? What are your hopes, dreams, and desires? And how have I made some of those expectations? Where have I been tough with you and not tender? Where have I been a critic and not an encourager? And I want you to take some time talking with your spouse, okay? We're not, we didn't put a chip in your forehead when you walked in. Uh, you don't have to do this, but I think it would be a benefit for you. I think it would be a great discussion for you to have with your spouse, and just knowing that God is changing us every day, every week, every month, the more we're allowing the love of God to form our hearts, the more uh, growth and change we have. And, and if we don't ask our spouse that simple question, we're going to miss it. We're going to miss it. And I, look, I, I don't have kids, uh, but I've, I was a student pastor for 10 years. And I get it's so easy to bury your head in the ground and just like once our kids are graduated, we can change the locks and go back to being married, right? And not roommates. But Jesus didn't call us to do that. He called us to brace the tension of the busy and the rest, of the future and the now. So I want to encourage you to take this week to ask your spouse, Honey, what, what are your hopes, dreams, and desires? And, and where do you find me twisting those into expectations that if you don't follow through, I'll somehow be disappointed uh, in you? Let's pray. 
Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to talk about uh, things that matter, our relationships. And it's really, it's really easy to talk theory <laughs> about the love of God. It's, it's really hard to live that out with uh, people that see us before we take a shower. Uh, people that see us in our best moments and our worst moments. And I pray for every family in this room, every family that's watching online, every family that couldn't be here today because they're enjoying some rest uh, as spring break ends. Lord, I, I pray that you would just give us the wisdom to regularly pause and say, hey, hey honey, what, what's, in, what's in your box? And, and how have you seen me twist those and turn them into expectations where I've been, become somewhat demanding and dismissive of you? Would Jesus, with your spirit, would you teach us when to be tough and when to be tender? It's in your name that we pray. Amen.